This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks that governments are now classifying them as terrorism. And it's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. What are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next victim? Barracuda MSP is here to help you ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attacks. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plan. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. Thanks to Barracuda MSP for helping bring you TubTalk. Now, on with the show. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Richard Tub here at home in the studio garage in Newcastle upon Tyne in the northeast of England. And in this season of the podcast, we're interviewing the amazing women in tech, the ladies who are blazing a trail in the MSP industry. So my guest today is Diana Giles, the president and owner of Skyline IT Management, an Edmond, Oklahoma-based managed service provider. Now, Diana has a bachelor's degree in business and a master's degree in telecommunications management from Oklahoma State University. And in addition to Skyline IT Management, Diana is also the founder of SensibleCyberParenting.com, a free resource website to help parents protect their children online. More on that shortly. Diana, welcome to TubTalk. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. It is wonderful to have you here. We've we've had a conversation about getting you on the podcast before, and you've been like, well, you know, do I really, should I come on the podcast? I'm so glad you're actually here and talking to me. Yeah, me too. Hopefully it'll be a painless experience. <laughs> <laughs> I promise it will. I can't wait for, for the audience to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, tell me a bit about your journey to becoming president of Skyline IT. Okay. Yes. Um, well, it's, you know, it's been a while uh, in, in the progress. Uh, I started out, uh, just like you mentioned, I have a business degree. Uh, and then when I started working after graduating from college, it seemed like uh, the in the various jobs that I had, I would end up being that person in the office, uh, even though it wasn't my job. If the IT people weren't around, I was the one that everyone came to, you know, uh, to solve their issues. And and it just that to me was kind of more fun. I enjoyed that part of my job uh, and anything kind of tech related than I than I actually did the job that I was supposed to be doing. So when I decided to leave uh, a company where I was, I decided I was going to make a shift and took a job, uh, entry-level tech position. So I completely just, you know, went in that direction. And so uh, I worked for a company called Teleflora, which uh, at the time they were American Floral Services here in Oklahoma, but they've been purchased by Teleflora since then. And they had a couple of different types of software. Uh, One was a Unix multi-user uh, application for really large florists that had multiple locations. And of course, back then we connected over modems or they connected over modems. But uh, I worked in support there and then eventually became installation coordinator and I would travel and do training and installations and conversions and and uh, got to travel around to some of the largest florists in the country. And that was, you know, that was really fun. Uh, then I 
uh, ended up having my first child. And so uh, full-time employment wasn't something I wanted at that point. And so I moved on to uh, teaching while I was working on my master's. I taught a year at Oklahoma State University, uh, Oklahoma City, because it's kind of more like a junior college version of OSU. And I taught telecommunications and Unix and different subjects um, while I was there. And I was working on my master's in telecommunications management. So uh, after that, uh, then I then I had my second son and I stayed home for a while, just, you know, being a mom. And that was, you know, important to us. once you're in IT, though, people kind of tend to know that that's what you do. And so, <laughs> then, you know, I kept getting calls and, and I'd get brought in on different things. And um, so eventually I just decided, well, I might as well actually, you know, kind of officially form an LLC and make a business out of it. And uh, so that's what I did. And it worked out great because I was I could do that while they were in school. Uh, I could now not to say that they didn't ever come along with me to a client's office and do their homework or something because they did. But, uh, you know, it was uh, it was just something that it was like a lifestyle business. I could do it and and uh, fit it into the lifestyle that that we wanted to have. And then it's just grown over time and it worked out great because as they needed me less, you know, uh, I was busier with my business and that was great. And so then now that they're uh, out of the home and and graduated from college, uh, you know, then that's when I really kind of started focusing uh, on actually doing this full time and, and really changed my, uh, you know, uh, progress on it. So yeah, I think it's an incredible story, uh, Diana. <laughs> I, the, the, one of the things that I take from your story as well is I think it is so relevant for where we are right now. Uh, just after the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, different audience all over the world listens to this. Everybody's in a different state of sort of emerging from the pandemic. But what I'm hearing from lots of people who are in employment is that they're looking to change things up and take more control over their environment. They want to spend more time with their family, with children. Uh, They really want to take control of their destiny. And that's what it appears to me you did, you know, uh, uh, way back then, and you're reaping the rewards of it to this day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things where there are a lot of I think that's one of the great things about the STEM fields in general, but even in tech and, you know, a lot of my uh, other mom friends who who did work outside of the home, maybe not full time, but they, you know, had some really nice uh, part time opportunities. It was in jobs where you could you had that flexibility, you know, like physical therapy or dental hygienist or, you know, in my case, tech. I mean, there are uh, I, th- I just think there's a lot of opportunities now where you can be more flexible uh, and even, you know, job sharing opportunities and things like that, if that's what you want. And if you want full time, that's great too. Uh, I just, I think technology is a great, because there's so many areas of technology. I mean, obviously as an MSP, you know, I'm in a particular area of it, but technology is a huge umbrella. I mean, there's, there's tons of different types of jobs under there. I have a, you know, another friend who um, is a developer and, and she also, um, you know, stayed home for the most part, but then she also uh, wrote software for her husband's, for their company, you know, so. 
system. Wow. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit more about the subject that you just picked up on, you know, almost encouraging more women into tech and more girls into technology. But before we do, I just want to um, flesh the picture out a little bit more about Skyline IT. So how many people uh, are there within the business in the present day? <laughs> One, <laughs> me, <laughs> uh, but I do, I have to have, you know, some outsourced help desk and, and other types of uh, firms that I contract with on some of the work. Um, so it, it is right now definitely a sole proprietor, but uh, I can't be in two or three places at once. So yeah. I, I do have uh, a company that I, I work with for the help desk and uh, I'm, I'm currently evaluating uh, kind of a... Uh, a relationship with a knock sock provider that's going to help me expand a little bit more and get you know get a little bit more help in those areas as well. I'm so glad you you mentioned that because I know a, a l- number of people who listen to this show are one man bands as we would call them uh, here in the UK and the feedback um, uh, one of the reasons I invited you on the show uh, Diana is I think you are thriving at what you're doing uh, uh, setting a great example blazing the trail as I said at the start but the audience of this show often says to me hey the people you get on the show here they're always running massive successful MSPs and they're doing this that and the other now not to say your MSP isn't successful but I do think it is very very possible uh, you know, to build a business with uh, one or just a handful of people, as you're talking about, with outsourcing and uh, all the things that go with it. How how have you found that journey as a one man band? You know, what's the the upside to that, and when do you find it challenging? Well, I, I would say first, you know, the most challenging probably at that point. Uh, I mean, talking about those things is when I am kind of needed in more than one place at one time. You know, that yeah. is definitely you know. Uh, can be an issue. I've also learned though that something maybe isn't as urgent, you know, as I prioritize it. I, you know, I really strive on providing good service. And, you know, uh, I've learned that, you know, I might want to get back to somebody, uh, you know, within 30 minutes on an issue, but they were, they were fine if I didn't get to it till tomorrow, you know, and so it was the pressure I was putting on myself. So I had to kind of, you know, I kind of have to look at the situation and, and really, see, okay, is it necessary or can I, you know, where do I put those priorities? But now that I have the help desk, um, you know, that has taken some of that load off because I don't have to worry. I can have really fast responses to people, um, even if I'm tied up on a project or something like that. Uh, And then, you know, one of the things about my business, because I mean, I definitely am an MSP, but I'm also um, still very much break fix hybrid. I also do, you know, um, training and, and project work even for, you know, an enterprise company. Um, that, so that's not, it's not really your straight MSP exactly, but I think that's really like a lot of businesses. I mean, we all have different things that we, we kind of, you know, go in a certain direction. Uh, another thing that I, I have a relationship with a, a software company, it's a cloud-based application and I've worked with them for years. They send their support through me. Um, for a lot of their support issues, mainly their hardware issues. But uh, so that's kind of a unique relationship. It doesn't really fit under the MSP or uh, straight tech support uh, break fix model either. You know, it's but it's a nice uh, relationship I have with another vendor um, that's very, you know, lucrative for my business and and uh, allows me to talk to uh companies all over the country. And actually some of them have become clients of Skyline directly outside of that other software. 
Wow. One thing that you said earlier um, about putting pressure on yourself, uh, almost to over-deliver, uh, I, and I know during this interview, you are going to drop value bomb after value bomb, and you're going to share so many different things with people. But for anybody who's a one man band, especially listening to this, I want you to listen specifically to what Diana said about that, because it's a lesson that I learned really early on in my career as uh, as an IT person. We put way too much pressure on ourselves, don't we? To, to get back to things. Uh, uh, and we assume they are massively urgent. Now I was speaking to a, an MSP. I'll share this story with you. I was speaking to an MSP just last week and we were talking about stress within uh, the business. And they were saying, oh, I'm incredibly stressed. I said, what, what are you stressed about? What's happening? He said, oh, and as we were talking, he got a phone call from a client, uh, or sorry, a, a message from a client on the phone. And he said, here's an example. Uh, they've said, oh, they need this doing urgently. And I said, okay, follow my advice here. Uh, I said, instead of just dropping everything and doing it, give them a call and say, when you say urgent, specifically, what do you mean? When does this need to be done? He did the call while we were there got back off the phone and he was like, oh yeah, they want it next week. But urgent to him meant like right now, this second, Diana, I need it doing. But you've learned that really valuable lesson that urgent to one person does not necessarily mean drop everything. It could be just their way of saying, hey, yeah, get get this done sooner rather than later. Right, right. And, and you know, even before I had a backup help desk, um, I had in many instances, you know, I had come to the realization that, okay, I was just going to have to turn down whatever this call was about or whatever they were asking. I was just going to have to let them know I couldn't get to it. I was too busy or, or whatever. And in every single case, they were like, oh, that's okay. We can wait. I mean, it, I was putting this inordinate, you know, this uh, excessive pressure on myself that, that really wasn't necessary. And so now, I mean, obviously there are times when there are fires to put out, you know, a server is down or something, but uh, a lot of times people, you know, they're fine. They understand, you know, you have to maybe wait till tomorrow or, or later in the day. Uh, and then, like you said, a phone call, even just touching base, uh, letting them know that their call has been received or their ticket has been received. Um, of course, I guess that's automated, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. What type of clients do you typically work with at Skyline? Uh, do you work with people in the local area or is it further afield? Well, I do have some, you know, out of state managed clients as well. And like I mentioned, I'm still very much hybrid break fix, uh, MSP, I, uh, it's small businesses that are less than 20 users. So, you know, very much on the small side. Um, that's my sweet spot. That's what I know, you know, having, um, just had relationships with small business owners in that size for so long. And my husband is one as well. And, you know, so that's what I know. And, and I really do appreciate, uh, small businesses and, and, uh, I just think they're such a vital part of our economy. And then I also, um, I still do residential. I even have managed residential clients. Um, so uh, really uh, just residential and small business and with a small business focus and definitely uh, cloud focus now, because I kind of, you know, that's really where I think the future is. And at least that's where I want to be because <laughs> so, that's where the modern Great. technology is. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think small uh, um, small businesses like to do business with small businesses, don't they, at the end of the day, rather than with uh, big enterprises. So that is, that is a strength for us. I'm interested, when you're speaking to a potential new client, are there any 
clients that you know, gut feeling or red flags, they just aren't a good fit for you. Is there anything you've learned to pay attention to, to think, mm, this is not going to be a good fit for me? Yes, uh, definitely. When it comes to price, for example, um, it doesn't mean if they automatically ask, you know, the price right at the beginning. I mean, I've I've been in some tech community discussions where if somebody they say, oh, if somebody asks, you know, how much is it going to cost, then you kind of write them off right away. I don't really I don't really go that far, but if price is their only focus, if that's where they always come back to, then that's a little bit of a red flag. Also, uh, if the current technology that they have is just painfully old and they don't really seem to be interested in, you know, um, upgrading rather than they just want to kind of make what they have work, that's that's going to be a red flag, especially, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about being on operating systems that are not even supported anymore and, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> it's different than someone who comes to you and says, Hey, you know, we've been working like this for a while and it's really time to upgrade. Can you help us? I mean, that's a whole other thing. That's, that's, those are the kind of people I want to work with. You know, if they, if they see the value in the technology and uh, that, so those two things, I think if it, if it's just, if price is the only thing they're concerned with, or if they just kind of want to make their really bad technology limp along, you know? Yeah. And because you, you find yourself in a situation where they're almost abdicating responsibility for their infrastructure and, and leaving it for, for you to, uh, to care for, it's not a good position to, to be in. Um, right. I'm, I'm intrigued. You mentioned earlier, so you, you outsource uh, or you've got a backup help desk at the moment to, to ease some of the pressure on you. You were considering going down the route of uh, maybe an outsourced knock and network operation uh, center. Let's talk about your tools for a moment. What, what are the primary tools that you use within your business? Well, I use Autotask PSA and Data RMM. So those are big tools. <laughs> those are, you know, the main uh, main drivers for a lot of things. Uh, I also really use out. I'm uh, not Outlook. Obviously, I do use Outlook. I use OneNote a, a ton. Right, um, it's like a second brain. Yes, exactly. And um, to do <laughs> that's that keeps me. Um, that of course. After reading your book, <laughs> the survival guide that that kind of got me really using to do more, and I and I uh, I really do rely on that a lot. Uh, and uh, so those are you know without those aren't my my stack kind of things, but as far as the tools that I use, um, yeah. Is there a, you know, a PSA tools, for instance? Lots of people listening to this, especially smaller, more nimble MSPs almost labor over that decision to implement a PSA tool because they think, well, we're not big enough. We're, we're not going to get the value. What would you say to somebody in that position? Yes. Okay. So um, first of all, I'm on Datto RMM now and I went through two other RMMs before I settled on Datto. So uh, <laughs> I have a little bit of experience with those and I know I could grow into Datto and I could grow into Autotask. And that's why I went with Autotask. Because the more I read and, and heard from different people in the industry talking about the importance of the PSA tool, I mean, I am really small to have Autotask, but Autotask is just, as far as I'm concerned, it's the kind of thing that, I mean, a PSA is the kind of thing that if you're going to grow into anything, it's going to be that tool. And so that's why I went with something that um, was, you know, probably more than I need, but I do have that ability to, to grow into it. 
So yeah, I, I found I don't know if you would agree with this, uh, Diana, but uh, having a PSA tool almost um, uh, gives you the regimented structure you need to actually start thinking like a business as opposed to just a technician. Is that something you found yourself? Yes. And um, keeps you, I mean, this is going to sound very basic probably to a lot of people, but it keeps you from cheating yourself on time and, and all of that. I mean, I, you know, I, I get I get paid more for what I do now. I mean, I, I get paid consistently more as far as um, accurately is what I mean. Uh, because I'm I'm utilizing the tool to actually track my time and and uh, whereas you know you can kind of let that slide if you're if you're guessing. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, Diana. I've got to say, you are so. Um, I was going to say self depreciating, but that is not the word. <laughs> but you are dropping so much value already in the conversation. What you just said about this might be basic to people. I can tell you that I speak to much bigger uh, MSPs who are still not understanding. Hey you know, they're essentially cheating themselves, not tracking their time effectively. And again, another reason why I wanted to uh, to share this conversation with the world, because you are doing things that I think are really, really scalable and um, you're ripping the rewards of it. You're getting paid for your time as opposed to just working all hours and, and not seeing the reward for it. So, yeah. Right, right. Now, you mentioned earlier on, um, you uh, try to move clients to the cloud. It is the future. You see the benefit of it. I know Skyline is a Microsoft partner. You sell a lot of Microsoft uh, cloud-based products. How's your relationship with Microsoft as an MSP? Well, I'd say, I mean, I'm such kind of, you know, a small a small entity in their world. Um, my relationship with them is probably barely exists, but my relationship with my distributor of Microsoft products, which is Pax8, um, that would be, that's where I really get my, um, you know, the, the training and the the information as far as Microsoft uh, licensing and all of that. I, I go through Pax8 and Microsoft does provide, you know, there's things that I get through my partner portal and such, of course, but uh, Pax8 really is the the driver of my, you know, Microsoft practice, I would say, as far as uh, just really, really providing the, the tools and the training and uh, because, you know, Microsoft is such a, a massive uh, enterprise and, and I really am, you know, small in their in their book they uh, i think they i mean obviously i exist in their world but they probably don't know that i do <laughs> yeah no i totally understand <laughs> you know lots of microsoft partners say well i wouldn't even appear on their radar exactly. so it's interesting yeah. you forge that relationship with pax8 pax8 are a company that that we've had come into the uk and really take the market by storm over the past sort of 12 months or so um, but Pax8 have existed in North America for a little while now. W what do you get out of that relationship with Pax8? Well, I would say, you know, uh, kind of a more personalized approach. And, you know, I do have to admit that before, I don't know, what was it, 2019? That's kind of when I really started uh, driving my business more, making big changes and that kind of thing. Because I, I went to the first IT conference I'd ever gone to. I mean, wow. I really had just been doing this kind of floating along on my own. I never talked to another tech person. I didn't, you know, and so going to that conference really opened up this whole new world of, uh, you know, I, I, 
I was buying things on Amazon. I didn't even really have distributors, um, you know. And so when I went to that conference and I, it just opened up this whole new world. And so I really liked, especially the way Pax8 was, because uh, I had kind of dabbled with distributors and and didn't always have the best, you know, situations. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of really liked how Pax8 was disrupting that uh, relationship. And especially their focus on, you know, Microsoft Business Premium, uh, 365 Business Premium and and moving to that cloud infrastructure, because that's really where um, I kind of agreed with them that that was where things were going. And they have really provided a lot of training and information there. You know, there's all kinds of things, uh, both paid and free, different uh training opportunities with them to make sure that not only, you know, do we know about the products, but that we understand securing them and the best practices for that, because, you know, security is so important. So uh, they're just, they're just really a good partner to have. I mean, the support on the pro, if it's a product that I get through them, I can go to them first for support. And most of the time, we can get things resolved, you know, and if I need to, I can go direct to the vendor, but uh, I don't know. I just, I've had a very good uh, relationship with them. So. Yeah. I think that would be reflected by lots of people that I know. And here in the UK, as I said, Pax8 are sort of sweeping, uh, sweeping across the market uh, and, and we've been waiting Fingers crossed, waiting for Pax8 to come because we hear our North American cousins like yourself talking about Pax8 and we're like, can we have some of that in the UK? Can we have some of that in Europe? So I'm, I'm really glad they've come across and carried that level of service that you talk across as well. But uh, but there we go. Um, I'm intrigued as well. What's part of running an MSP business? You talked about the break fix. You talked about you've got residentials uh, going on as well. What parts of running the MSP business do you find the most challenging? um well it's not the technical part (laughs) because that's the part I really like um I would say sales because that's not you know and for years I didn't I was as busy as I wanted to be I didn't you know I wasn't act I would just get referrals and things were fine and I, I just didn't do any marketing at all and so I would say sales is hard because when people are you know businesses have their IT person that they like, they're pretty loyal and sticky with them, right? Until something goes wrong. And then they may be looking for somebody else. But uh, it, can, you know, it can be hard to get somebody to, to switch. And even if, you know, they might like you and appreciate you, but they're happy with whoever they have. So they're not going to switch. Um, and obviously right now in the environment that we're in, I think security is also tough. I mean, it's just always on your mind. You're always trying to make sure that you're, you know, deploying best practices, that you're, you know, um, making sure those holes are patched or whatever opportunities where the, you know, the uh, bad actors could get at your clients. It's just, it's just tough. It's because you're always thinking about it right now. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. I want to pick up on a thread that we we talked about a little bit earlier. And I'm going to be quite blunt here when I talk about the IT industry. I think the IT industry is notorious for being a male-dominated industry. I know some people might take exception to that by saying male-dominated, but you go to any IT conference, 
you know, 90% of uh, the people there are uh, uh, blokes. And so I do think it's a male-dominated industry. Of course, this, this season of Tub Talk that we're doing is shining a light on amazing women in technology like yourself, because I want to change the perception of that. What have your experiences been, Diana, of, of being a strong woman in this tech space? Well, um, I agree. I mean, because it's it's obvious when I go to these tech conferences, I mean, I was at one in Florida last week and, you know, you look around the room and this large uh, ballroom room in a hotel um, and almost everybody uh, was a man. But then I also, my experience hasn't been that that's been a problem. So, I mean, I would love to have as many women in tech as want to be there. You know, but um, I look at my experience and I started in the 90s. Um, the person that hired me, the director of the department, was a woman. And about half the people I worked with in that department at that time were women. So, you know, I, I, I'm surprised that given that, that we don't have more um, women at, the, at these conferences. And, you know, there may be more women that are vendor um you know, representatives and things like that, that I see at the conferences, but the actual women IT owners that are, you know, sitting around the tables with me, um, there's, they're just not as many. And, and I'm not really sure what the solution is. Cause I don't really feel like they're being blocked or left yeah. out on intentionally, you know, maybe it's just, there aren't as many women who are interested in doing that, or maybe, um, not as many who have, uh, Maybe they didn't take the path I did and do it part time for a while and, and that kind of thing. Maybe they didn't know that was an option. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know what the solution is, but I don't think that there's an active uh, any kind of thing that's, you know, no, you're a woman. You can't be in the tech industry. You know, <laughs> yeah. and at least that's not my experience. Um, so I, I think that it's it's good if we just all embrace the differences that we have. I mean, there's different things we all bring to the table based on our experience. Uh, you know, and I think maybe perhaps as a woman, um, I might bring a certain finesse, maybe more patience in some, you know, aspects. And then maybe um, some skills I have to work on maybe a little harder would be um, being that authority. Whereas maybe a man might not have as much of that problem because um, you know we do when we're somebody's tech provider they need to think of us as an authority and we need to have difficult conversations with them especially like about security and things like that um, and I don't know if it's a gender thing necessarily I mean we just all have different gifts right I'm maybe more we're all in the tech industry we're all technical I would assume or we're, we wouldn't be here but there's going to be different strengths and different weaknesses that we all have and if there's an area that I am less proficient in or a certain skill set I need to build on you know I need to develop that whatever that is um, so I don't know that it necessarily is a gender thing but um, I don't know I I would love to have more women in the in the uh, tech area, although it does make the uh, bathroom lines at the conferences really short. So. <laughs> Pros and cons to it then, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, th I, th I think you're right, Diana. You know, uh, I know a lot of the audience of this podcast are men running IT businesses. And I speak to them and there is no conspiracy to say, hey, this is a boys only club. We don't want, we don't want girls to, uh, to, to play in this club. There is no conspiracy. However, 
I do think that as an industry as a whole, we need to be doing more to attract women into IT. So there is something uh, we need to change about the culture, which just makes it, uh, for, especially for girls coming out of school as well, to think, yeah, I want to work in the tech space. And as you said, it's such a wide industry with so many things going on. But specifically for the managed service provider industry, I've spoken to ladies on, on the podcast this season who have said, I love this industry because it's so fast moving. There's so much change. I never get bored with it. And um, we've spoken to other ladies who have talked about cybersecurity. They feel like superheroes, you know, keeping their clients safe and that. So there is, there's definitely something I think we can do to, you know, to make the industry as a whole feel more attractive uh, uh, to, to girls and ladies. Something I've heard you talk about publicly, though, about not trying to fit in with the guys. You're an amazing woman in tech. You've said, look, I don't try and fit in with the guys. What type of advice would you give to other women trying to make it in this industry? Yeah, um, well, and that was, there was a particular context for that comment, but um, I, and, and like just hearkening back just a bit to what you were saying, I have been at, at the various conferences and then the tech tribe or, or whatever tech community, the Facebook pages or groups, um, all of the, the men are very well, um, I, I'm ve I feel very well received and supported and, and have never, ever felt like um, they were being anything but, but kind and helpful, you know, mm. and, and same for the women. But uh, I just think we we have a great community. The, the tech community is great. And um, so I do appreciate that. And I've never felt uh, any kind of... Um, uh, you know, that the guys were disregarding me as a woman. But anyway, back to what I'd said uh, about fitting in. It, I just think we all need to be ourselves, ourselves. And if you're in, what I was talking about that day was not really a, like if you're in just a kind of a small conversation, uh, maybe uh, at a conference or whatever with a group of men. Um, let's say I normally um, try to have pretty clean, uh, you know, I, my language is pretty clean. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe theirs is not. Well, I'm not going to just all of a sudden start throwing around the F-bomb just to kind of try to fit in. You know, I mean, that that's not going to be helpful. It's not going to be genuine or authentic on my part. Um, and so that's, uh, that's what I mean as far as being yourself. The the thing that I was specifically talking about, though, was a presentation in a professional situation. And um, so I just felt like the, the kind of coarse language that was being used was perhaps somebody's attempt to fit into the boys club in the audience. And I, you know, it was one of those things where, frankly, the language wouldn't have been appropriate if it had been a man either. Mm. So I, I just, um, maybe I'm more sensitive to that as a woman, cause I really want women in tech to succeed and I don't want them to, to go places they shouldn't go, you know, um, may, maybe that, but that's what that comment was about. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think it's fair comments as well, but the, the, the word that you mentioned there was authenticity, which, you know, is a very intangible, uh, thing in a way people talk about, oh, you must be authentic. But I think your advice, you know, uh, don't try and be something that you're not, you know, don't make an assumption over what 
uh, if you're a speaker over what the the audience you need to do to ingratiate yourself with them or uh, anything like that and i think i think you're absolutely right you know uh, and and that's advice not just for women in 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 the it industry that's for anybody you know don't yes. don't be something you're not you know uh, stand out for your own merits and don't necessarily just try and fit in so i think that's really good advice diana yeah yeah um You've got two grown-up children now, haven't you? You and your husband, Steve. How old are How old are the uh, the boys now? Uh, let's see, uh, twenty-four and twenty-three. Twenty-four and moment. twenty-three. But <laughs> they kind of, you know, through the year, it, they're eighteen months apart. So it yeah. Depends. But you talked about being a, a mother. Uh, working in uh, the tech space as well. Being a mom is a, a tough gig in itself, uh, but running, you know, being in the tech space, running an MSP and being a mom, wow. You know, tell us about your experiences from from that side of thing, how it worked out, the pros and the cons and the challenges you found. Yeah, well, um, you know, and like I mentioned before, you know, very much part-time, especially early on. Um, so I was able to make it work. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't times where I was dragging them with me to somebody's office or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, or, or I might take them up to my husband's office while I was going somewhere, you know. Uh, most of the time I could get things done during the school day, during, you know, while they were at school and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it was, like I said, you know, it was like a lifestyle business. So I was as busy as I wanted to be. And um, it didn't mean that there weren't times that, you know, I felt like I was being pulled in a bunch of different directions and, and uh, they did their homework at, you know, one of my customers' offices. Um, it would have been great if we had had the remote technology we have now um, for some of those early years, though, because, you know, I can do so much more remotely now than I used to could. Um but it, uh, I, for me, it, it worked out perfectly because my business grew and got busier as they needed me less. And so uh, everybody's situation is different, but that's how it worked for me. Yeah. And tell me more about sensiblecyberparenting.com. Uh, where did that come from? <laughs> well, uh, I had been called in on several cases. Unfortunately, after the fact, where mm. uh, families had an issue with the child who had, um, in some cases, just been exposed to uh, undesirable content, you know, like pornography, and in other cases, maybe um, had actually be, you know, become addicted and had a problem. You know, in one case, I had a family whose son was going off to college and was trying to conquer his his addiction, and they wanted help securing you know, the device to prevent for his accountability, you know, so he, he could keep himself accountable. And, and so it just became apparent that there were, that there was this issue out there. And I had um, really been very diligent in taking care of making sure my own kids technology um, wouldn't allow them to get, you know, places I didn't want them to go. But I, I knew that there were just parents out there who just, because it, it was hard, it's easier now. Um, but back when I first started trying to just take care of my own kids tech, uh, it was hard. There just weren't very many products or tools that you could do uh, use to do that. And so I knew if it was hard for me and here I am, you know, a tech person, then I knew it was really, really hard for the, um, 
for other parents. And so I started that to try to help um, just give them a resource because it was what I discovered was when I would try to, you know, if they hired me to come help them and we could set things up and I could do it for them, but that this really didn't work because, you know, at 10 o'clock at night when their child's trying to print their homework or something, and something doesn't work and they have no clue about whatever products or, you know, services are, are installed, then that's just, that's a, a problem. The, the parents actually need to be empowered to do it themselves. And the products are so much better now that they really can. And the companies that offer majority of these products have very good support and very good documentation. So I really just wanted to provide a resource to empower parents because they really do have to own it. I mean, it is something they need to do and you can't really do it for them, um, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. And we've got lots of uh, parents who listen uh, to the show as well. So the website URL is sensiblecyberparenting.com. Go and check it out. It's a great resource there. And we'll include links to that and all of Diana's contact details and everything else we've talked about in the show notes as well. You mentioned your two boys. Are they interested in a career in tech at all? <laughs> well, uh, they're both electrical engineers, so mm -hmm. you know, definitely in the STEM area. Uh, one of them did when he graduated. He went into the mock program at Microsoft, so um, he was in. He was with Microsoft for a while, and then he actually went to work for one of their customers, a company called Axon, um, who was utilizing the Azure product that he was working with at Microsoft. So now he works for Axon, and uh, so he is definitely in the tech. Uh, arena. Um, my other son, like I said, is an electrical engineer, but he he doesn't work for a tech company, <laughs> but still. Yeah. How do you think that we in the MSP industry could encourage more young people to be interested in a career in the MSP space? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know necessarily specifically in the MSP space, but at least like letting them know what's out there. I know for me, um, when when I was in college um, and, you know, I ended up just getting a degree in business, uh, marketing and management. And it was because, I mean, even in high school, you know, I had computer programming. I was very interested in computers, but I had it in my head for whatever reason that you had to be a math genius to be in tech and right. do computer science. And um, I mean, I wasn't bad at math, but I, I didn't feel like I was a wizard, you know. And so I had I set up that limit for myself, even though when I was in college, all of my favorite classes and the ones that came the easiest to me were either my MIS classes or my introduction to programming, you know, all of those different things. And I still didn't make that move. So one thing that I I don't hear any, maybe there are people saying this, but something that I really think that would be helpful would be if we had aptitude testing, because there's a lot of focus on intelligence tests, you know, the SAT, the ACT, and all of those things, at least over here in the United States. Yeah. And those have their place. And I mean, they, they have, they serve a purpose, but uh, there are some amazing aptitude tests out there and they're, they're time consuming. I mean, you can, a good aptitude test can take like a day or day and a half, but you go through, it's really not just one test. It's a series of a bunch of little tests and you, you know, you, one of the tests may be 
responding to answers after listening to some sounds. Uh, one may be uh, looking at diagrams and trying to answer questions about how those things would look four-dimensional or three-dimensionally uh, or other logic puzzles. I mean, and you really do, after you go through those tests, you get a really good idea of just the things that make you tick and the things that you really find very interesting, fascinating, you know, that would lead to your vocational satisfaction and mm. then also help you pick a major and pick what you, you want to do and, and kind of get a handle on just what types of opportunities are out there. Because yeah. like we were talking about, the tech industry as a whole is, is a really large umbrella and there's such a variety under that. Um, there's going to be people within the tech industry itself, right, that are going to be good in certain areas and not get, I'm like, I wouldn't be good as a developer just doing that all day. You know, that's not my not my thing, but uh, I like the problem solving and, and that kind of thing. So um, I really think aptitude testing is such a, it's, it's just a missed opportunity. And I think it could lead to a lot less uh, majors being changed in college, perhaps, <laughs> which is expensive, you know, when you, you go a whole semester or two and then you change your major. Can I add yeah. to that? So. Yeah. I, I love that idea. Have you ever got involved with um, uh, things like disc profiling or, or whatever within personality profiling or anything like that within your business? I have not. I mean, I hear it talked about, but it's yeah. not anything that I have, have really done. Um, I mean, I'm sure I've taken a personality test or two, but yeah. Nothing I've focused on. It's fascinating. That would be also good too. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. So I, I love your idea about implementing it much earlier in um, you know the education system to let people know, hey, this is something that you naturally uh, uh, find easy and probably fun and hear stuff that is not impossible, but it's going to be tougher for you to do. Uh, the reason I bring up disc uh, profiling, Adina, is I revisit my own disc profile every couple of years because it's easy for me to 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 drift off and start doing things that are stressful, difficult for me. And I'm like wondering why I'm not enjoying uh, work. And then I reread my disc profile and it says, oh yeah, you don't like this type of thing. Um, yeah, so I think it's important for anybody listening as well. If you've not looked into you know, uh, those type of profiling tests, of course, they're not the be all and end all, but it right. can bring a reminder to yourself of the stuff that you're good at and the stuff that you find more challenging. So a uh, good way to reduce stress there. Yeah. Yeah, I need um, to look into that. Yeah, disk profile. Tell me what I need to outsource, right? <laughs> <laughs> Eric Simpson, of um, uh, uh, who is a well-known personality in the uh, the MSP space, we've never had Eric on the show. Uh, must uh, reach out to him, but Eric Simpson does um, uh, a lot of stuff with disk profiling that's worth anybody checking out as well. Yeah, okay. uh, you mentioned earlier on Unix. Do you ever get involved with any Unix stuff uh, anymore? Not. <laughs> Not anymore. I mean, occasionally on a firewall, if I have to, you know, do some uh, changes. Um, no, and, and I've probably forgotten most of my Unix that I knew because that was so long ago. Yeah. Uh, but, and I mean, I even taught it. I taught like the intro to Unix class that year at OSU, Oklahoma City. But uh, no, I mean, I, I just don't have to much anymore. Yeah. The reason I ask is uh, just the other day, I, I was sat down with uh, with a router. Uh, and it was uh, a Unix-based uh, router, and I hadn't done any Unix for like 20 years, something like right. that. And all of a sudden, I found out, and it just poured back to me. And after oh, a few seconds, I would say you, you will probably uh, find the same. Anyway, I'm being a big techie geek here, uh, as, as everybody knows, I think. But I'm also an animal lover. 
I know you've got a background as an IT manager at your uh, an animal hospital. I believe it's your husband's uh, vet's uh, hospital as well, isn't it? What is that role like? And um, that must be interesting, <laughs> right? Yeah, especially since it's my husband. But yeah, he's he's had his own veterinary practice since the 90s um, when he was fortunate enough to be able to buy the one he has. And so I've taken care of, you know, all of the, the IT parts for that, obviously, since since day one, um, he is uh, admittedly not a tech person at all. And so he doesn't really, you know, like any of that. So um, it's it's frustrating and fun both. <laughs> it's, it's always fun, I think, to be up at the clinic just because, you know, I love animals and all of that. Um, and it's interesting me uh you know i like to watch surgeries i get to do that occasionally i would never want to do one but to me that's kind of fun um the frustrating part can first of all be because it's your husband uh, (laughs) as your client but also just um there's some things that i wish that their leading software provider would do differently you know there's just not really a great cloud option yet uh then also you know there's going to be some resistance to actually changing uh, and uh you know because we have at our clinic we have several people that have been there a long time and you know people get set in their ways and <laughs> so change is hard uh so you know it's it's good. It's fun. But, you know, there are some frustrating things, I think, with with any technology and with any um, or trying to help bring a business along to modernizing. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you've been you've been incredibly diplomatic in that. Answer, but the, <laughs> the idea of watching the surgeries as an animal lover, I was like, oh, yeah, you might find it interesting. I would I would have to turn away at that point, though. So, <laughs> oh. well, you know, it's it, it, they're there to be helped, you know, so um, yeah. it's yeah. it's good. But yeah. um, it's it's fun. Well, I, my favorite part about being up there is when there's puppies that come in. You know, who doesn't <laughs> love a puppy? <laughs> Another perk of the job, yeah. Yes. <laughs> there's not many MSPs can say there's a steady stream of puppies that they can uh, right. that they can deal with as well. There, so right. Hey. But it is fun. Like I've you know I've I've modernized them and. And unfortunately for him, sometimes they have to be my guinea pigs when I'm trying out a new product, you know, because that's a great incubator. <laughs> so um, that works out well for me, too. So there's some perks for my business, too. Yeah, sounds good. I, I want to go back to something you said about you've got, you know, the degree in business. You've got a master's degree in uh, telecoms. You've taught telecoms as well, though, you mentioned, didn't you? Land fundamentals and, uh, and more at Oklahoma State. Was there any lessons you took away from that role that helped you as a, an MSP owner? Yeah, um, you know, so much, even when I was working on my master's, it's it's funny to think back about the stuff we were being taught, um, you know, as far as the IP protocols and things like that um, that have actually changed since oh, then. Yes. So a lot of what I've taught is kind of obsolete now. But I just think because I was working on my master's at the same time, and obviously I wasn't teaching at that level, I was teaching at a much more basic level. But, you know, if you're teaching something, you have to learn it. So it really did did help me in that way. And so much of what I do is user training. And um, I mean, I've even, you know, developed curriculum on on training on different um, applications, especially like I I did a whole series for a company um, after COVID for Teams. Uh, We did three different levels and it was for their whole enterprise. And so I think 
having that, I think that's experience of, of being an instructor helped me develop that curriculum and actually handle the, uh, you know, the teaching aspects. And even though, I mean, I, I guess I've always had to do some sort of amount of user training in my yeah. business. I mean, we do a lot of that, uh, but I was able to do, you know, very, very detailed curriculum instruction. And I think I probably was able to draw on that experience. Um, and and really, when I worked at uh, the software company, I mean, that was one of my major parts of my job also was doing training. So uh, they would bring in people to come in and, and learn the software and we would do training there. We would also do uh, training on site when we would uh, travel to their locations. So I guess that's always been kind of part of what I've done, but I was yeah. definitely able to use it in that role. Yeah. I, uh, for, a, for a brief period at the start of my career, I did uh, IT training as well. And I think the thing that, that I learned is it teaches you uh, patience and it uh, teaches you the ability to, um, to explain a topic to somebody in a concise, straightforward fashion as well, which are really, really helpful uh, in the MSP world. So I'm with you though. You were talking about like the land fundamentals and stuff. I did the, um, the CompTIA plus and the network plus all of those things at the start of my career. I wonder if I sat down and tried to take those exams now, how far I would get, Diana. But things have oh, yeah. things have changed a little bit, haven't they? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, one of the the things that makes me laugh the most is is there was one of the you know we had a kind of an electrical engineering class where we looked at the different network protocols, and the instructor was saying, um, you know, because of the IP protocol, you will you will never see. Uh, a high use of video with high bandwidth on on TCP IP. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we're demonstrating right now that that's not true. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, uh, something you said earlier as well. You know, you're a member of the tech tribe, but you were fairly new to the community scene and and being aware of. Uh, you know, uh, peer groups and talking to other uh, IT companies, really. What does being part of a community like the Tetri bring to you in your business now? Well, it's it's just so nice to be able to bounce ideas or um, even bring problems to, you know, to the group. If you're having a, a problem with something, just to have other people to be able to, to chime in or uh, offer their opinions or, you know, uh, it's, it's opened up a whole new world. I wish I'd known a long time ago about such a thing because I, I didn't. I just was doing my own thing and and never talked to anybody else. I think uh, even talking to people in my local community now that are, uh, you know, other technicians, I don't, I talk to them, you know, all the time. Uh, we used to, I think we used to just think we were competitors or something. So you yes. don't want to talk to your competitors. Well, I mean, um, I just, I just don't think that way anymore. Um, and I haven't met a ton of them in my local community yet, a couple of them. Um, and we've had some meetups, but certainly in the, uh, just in the Facebook groups and the tech tribe and, and other, you know, groups like that, uh, it's, it's been, it's great. I mean, and another thing for me, because I do have some clients that, um, you know, they're out of state. I mean, they're, they're across the country. If I need boots on the ground, I am very confident now because of the different organizations like ASCII, the Tech Tribe, and so forth. I could get somebody if I needed to to be there. So. Yeah, to collaborate with them, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what I found with my uh, MSP business as well. A, there's enough clients for everyone, 
So this this idea of competition is it 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 doesn't really work like that. And secondly, building relationships with other people not only helps; it's not only a better way to do business, uh, it's a more fun way to do business as well because we don't need to be doing this journey on our own, do we? So right, right. And I mean, I've had you know referrals because a lot of the maybe you know maybe one of my buddies here in town, you know, they do larger clients. And so if they have a smaller client, they'll send them my way and vice versa. You know, I've sent them some referrals for different things. So yeah. it's um, it's good to have those strategic partnerships, even among quote competitors. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Diana, we're coming to the end of our time together. This has been incredible. I have so enjoyed our conversation together and I'm going to make you blush here, but for the benefit of listeners at home, when I asked Diana uh, to be on the podcast there, she I really had to twist her arm a little bit. She was like, why, you know, I'm not going to be able to share anything of value. Why do you want to speak to me? And I knew exactly why I wanted to speak to you. And I think everybody at home now uh, listening to this knows you have delivered so much value in this conversation. Thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day to, to chat with us here. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as well. I have. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. For anybody listening who wants to perhaps contact you to continue the conversation, what's the best way they can find you online? Uh, well, it's probably say LinkedIn uh, or then through my website, uh, skylineitmgmt.com. Uh, there's you yeah. know ways to, to uh, get to a contact page there. So. No worries. We will include all of those details in the show notes. Diana, thank you again. This has been one of my favorite interviews to record in quite some time I've got to tell you so really appreciate you taking time out to speak with me (laughs) well thank you I I, it was fun (laughs) good that concludes today's episode I look forward to speaking to you on the next episode of Tub Talk Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks, governments are now classifying them as terrorism. You've seen the news. Oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. It's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. So what are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next statistic? Barracuda MSP is here to help ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attack. One, attacks start with an innocent looking email that tricks users into revealing usernames and passwords. Barracuda MSP can train your clients on your behalf to recognize an attack and enable you to deploy anti-phishing technology. Two, secure clients' web applications. File sharing services, web forms, and e-commerce sites often have weak points hackers are looking for. If hackers get into these applications, they go after business data. Protect access to these applications so hackers can't get onto 
your client's network. Three, backup is a must. Today's solutions make it simple and fast to protect archives and backup or restore an up-to-date copy of an entire server or an individual file. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plans. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's gogo.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.